Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is Red Watch by RegulatorWatch.com. Coming at you from a Saturday night when I was supposed to be going out. As you can pretty much see, I'm dressed to go out. Instead, I am pissed off, and I have brought a guest on with us to talk about this. Uh, and this is the Wuhan virus, obviously, we're talking about. I've got John Glauser here uh, from Demand Vapes, you know, our anchor supporter, but he's not here uh, on, demands, uh, on Demands Dime. He's here as a political contributor for RegWatch. For those of you who don't know, John is one of the most read people I have ever met. And if you thought I knew a lot of stuff, this guy puts me to shame. John, thanks for joining us. You give me too much, way too much credit, Brent, but I, <laughs> I do enjoy these discussions. Well, and they're important discussions too. And, you know, really we're, we're looking at a breaking reg rant here. We're going to, you know, go through the muck of all the stuff that's happened in the last couple of days. And really what we're looking at here is a global public health move to shut down Western society. You can't call it any other way. So if you vape, the Wuhan virus hysteria represents a clear and present danger. If you value freedom, then the Wuhan virus hysteria is the beginning of the end. It's as simple as that. And that's what we're going to talk about. John, what do you think? Do you think that the Wuhan virus is much to do about nothing or should it be taken as seriously as the public health movement is asking us to do? So I want to answer your question by bifurcating two things, right? You have your actual health, um, I guess, risk assessment to a certain group of people in our society where, where it is, yes, it absolutely 100% is a threat. But from the perspective of the way public health is dealing with it, uh, if you if you know to to say that it's it's that level threat, no, I, I do not agree with that whatsoever. I think that it is it is mainly being used as a tool by public health to ultimately gain control over us as a society. And how are they how are they affecting that? Do you think? I mean, you know, here is the thing with the with the Wuhan virus, in my opinion, the coronavirus is it's a problem that we need to deal with uh, as a society, as individual people. Everyone should and everyone should be diligent to take the right steps to make sure it doesn't spread, that we take care of the vulnerable in society, the people that are really at risk. But the key word there is individual, in my opinion. And, and that's exactly what we're getting away from. From a public health standpoint, it's just, you know, let's throw more money at it from a government approach. Let's, uh, let's bring everyone under this uh, scared ideology that they need to listen to what we say. And it, it's good that we listen to sound advice. Um, but the question is, where does that lead? And that's what the scary part is. And I wonder too, as well, why we're supposed to believe public health. Now, you know, obviously we're, we've been covering vaping for four and a half years. This is, I mean, I, I, after what happened with the lung illness, there is nothing about what's happening here today that shocks or surprises me. And it, it's pretty much, here's another pretext for in which them to lie and snatch power. And what's so scary here is that like we have, and every, you know, people, everybody has been getting this kind of stuff. So I get, um, you know, Bloomberg's feed and it coming across from Bloomberg today uh, it was just a litany of one after another after another of of horrible messages from Bloomberg. One of them saying, you know, you, the the way that people shop, travel, and work is going to change forever. And and I mean, what kind of a message is that? And, and you know, and here is the the sad reality. And and I, I don't want 
anyone to be misled here. We have a situation we absolutely have to deal with, right? Like there, this is not a hoax. This is not something that is not actually happening. But the question is, and I think Vapor specifically are very cognizant of this, going through the whole uh, lung issue, uh, lung scare in Bali, is, you know, based on what they're telling us, how do we extrapolate what's really going on and what the necessary kind of precautions we need to take to make sure we're not just taking what's fed to us from the media and saying, wow, this is a situation. And it's very apparent that the public as a whole has a lot of trust in our public health system and how it's communicated to us. Because if you go to any grocery store anywhere in this country right now, I don't know what Canada looks like, but the shelves are empty. And that is not an appropriate response to what we're dealing with. And just to allude to what you're talking about, you know, the media is just bombarding us time and time and time again. Everything's going to change. And they're talking about distant future here. And like I said, that's my biggest fear when we're talking about government interfering in our lives. The fact that they're already laying the framework to say this is going to be something we have to deal with for years, maybe decades. And it's only going to get worse from their perspective because it gives them more control. And that, that, that's what I think the biggest threat is here. Now, would you agree that public health um, is more than just what they, you know, what the pretense is of, of it being, you know, just about science and just about making sure everyone's healthy? I mean, I think we all know that they're, you know, they represent a totalitarian trend or, or streak in humanity. I mean, you don't go into public health unless you really do desire telling people what to do and how to live their lives. And quite frankly, must get a little bit of a kick out of the power of the state that you can deploy in order to coerce that behavior the way that you and the experts have decided. Yeah, and no, I absolutely agree with you, Brian. And public health is something we need to be very wary about. Like I encourage everyone to not only look at what we're being told in this country, but look at how other countries are reacting to the situation. Um, compare them, use critical thinking, uh, use common sense to try to figure out what's really going on here. Because if public health was really doing the job that they're supposed to be doing, which is to be protecting the public health, um, we would not be seeing the reaction we're seeing now. Obviously, they're doing something wrong. It's, like I said, very apparent in the results of what's being communicated to us. You know, and that's totally true. I mean, I'm going to be just straight up about this now. Four and a half years of covering this story uh, from the vaping side where we've really been examining what public health means and what the progressive movement means, what they're looking to do, what they're trying to achieve in terms of social engineering and to create better human beings amongst the likes from a community and a collective, as opposed to staying right the hell out of the way and letting individuals uh, uh, develop and, and build society. Again, people do need to remember that those that are on the conservative or libertarian bent, or let's just say not left, right? It's not that they don't uh, appreciate community. It's not that they don't see the value in that. It's not that they don't even see the value and the and and the reason why government exists and why the state must take action that is collective in nature. Of course, we get that. I mean, it's only the left that paints us as as heartless people that don't understand that. But what's different, though, is that we believe that communities are built from the bottom up. At bottom, communities are built from individuals and families. And, and it's, not, it's not the society first and the individual must always relinquish to the betterment of society. 
Yeah, Brian, I cannot agree with you more. Um, and I would make the argument that that's really the only way to deal with these types of problems, right? I mean, even if you look at the messaging, I mean, the messaging is there in this cryptic public health uh, kind of dilemma they put us in. At the end of the day, they're saying we need to act collectively as a whole, correct? Like that that's what they're telling us. Everyone needs to do their part. How, how do you make that happen? Every single individual needs to take the appropriate action to get a good outcome. And that's that's where it starts. And I think that's what's so important to realize here is as individuals, um, instead of me saying, I want the government to handle this for me, I have to ask myself, and, and this would benefit society as a whole if everyone did this. What can I personally do for me, my family, first and foremost? And then from there, how do I be responsible to in, in how I act to make sure my community is protected? And that's how we have to concentrate on the individual. To think that this huge federal government is going to come in, sweep in, and take care of all our problems for us is just a pipe dream. And that's what they want us to believe because that's what gives them their power. So, you know, and, and I think you hit the nail right on the head when people say that uh, conservatives or, you know, uh, right wingers do not have empathy or they don't care for society. I would make the argument that, you know, fundamentally they care more than anyone else because, you know, that that understanding that the individual needs to have that responsibility for themselves, it just organically turns into a, a, a good society that is not only responsible, um, it, you know, it doesn't get out of control because every single individual is taking care of their needs. And by default, those needs turn into a healthy society that is vibrant and will flourish. No, that is totally true. And conservatives is, is a bad word for a lot of people because they, <coughs> excuse me, it's been for all these people that have been recently red-pilled, and so to speak, right? And they find themselves on the other end of this conservative label, and they're having a real hard time handling it because they don't know how to handle it. Even myself, I would have not called myself a conservative some years ago, and even today, I still don't like it totally because it, you know, it, it allows me, it, it makes me decide to put myself into their definition-making machine. And, well, I, and I think the most important thing, and I really want people to start getting out of this tonight, this is the most serious thing that has ever happened in my lifetime and not in any of our lives, lifetimes globally like this since the Second World War. And I mean, I have to remind everybody here that progressives live, they're, they're so we've talked about their, you know, their utopian aims, the historical determinism, the desire to build a better man. Uh, they believe a utopia, uh, the kingdom of heaven is a place on earth. It, that song is the progressive religious anthem. When you hear heaven is a place on earth, that is a religious song. That's not a pop song. That's a religious song singing about heaven is a place on earth. And that's the progressive utopia. Now, they also, you know, they, sorry, and I think I lost my thought there and I'll get it back because it's a really important one. Well, let me comment. Let me comment on what you said. Because I think definitions are super important. Like you just mentioned conservative, progressive, left, right. Um, I think it's really important to realize this isn't from a political standpoint per se. You know, like um, what, what we're talking about here is more ideology. Right. It's not 
Like I respect being an American, being in the Republic of America that, you know, whether if you're a Democrat from a political standpoint, I will fight and die for your right to have your beliefs. Uh, that's not what we're talking about when we say progressives, uh, where we're talking about this movement that's happening to kind of control society and hand it over to like this collective governmental controlled entity that basically just penetrates into every aspects of everyone's life so that we lose complete control over what over our own decision making so this isn't necessarily a political conversation in you know it's in its strict definition because you know i mean anyone who knows me knows that i could talk politics I, no matter what your views are what your stances are i'll never fault someone for where they stand on social issues where they stand on um, you know pro-life pro-choice uh uh, Medicare for all, all that stuff. Those are, you know, we, we could talk that stuff out all day. This is more of an ideological principle that we're talking about here. And so let me pick it up there because that's exactly, thank you very much, because that's a, what is my point is that for those that are red-pilled uh, and, and on the other end of this conservative label, it's the issues like abortion and stuff like that that are really hard to deal with because, you know, they may have, they're probably could be pro-choice if they're coming over from the Democratic side. And so, and so then the left, that just berate, you know, berates them like hardcore and makes it very difficult for people to, you know, make that move, I guess, ideologically over to, to, you know, to this side. I bring this up because like, the fact is, is that we shouldn't be, we should be opening up a channel here that is not about being conservative, but it's about being counter-revolutionary because progressives are revolutionaries. The left is revolutionary. So that's the tactical thing. I was saying they, we know about the utopian and everything else. Now we got to talk about the treacherous, malevolent tactics of the left. And, and those tactics um, are revolutionary. They're grounded in that. So we don't necessarily need to say, hey, come on and be a conservative and come love Jesus, right? Or go be a conservative and, and you have to like go out there and protest abortion. We don't care about any of that. We care. Lip, are you lip against it? Right. And that, that that's the same principle that we want to get back to. And this is the principle that we're not being allowed to get back to because of the progressive movement. Right. And we're not going to get back there until people start realizing that there's it, there is an us and them. There is the people who are trying to destroy Western civilization. Like everyone's been saying, well, a lot of people have been saying for a long time and and they're prepared to do anything to do that on a global level. <laughs> I mean, shut down capitalism. In Canada, we've just been going through, you know, six, eight weeks here where protesters, militant protesters inspired uh, progressives of, of, of the same global mentality. It's all wrapped up in climate change and everything else. And they're shutting down Canada. And so then now you turn around and, and they're shutting down capitalism. And you might be going, well, that might be a little bit too far. I don't think it is. I don't think when you have Trump and Johnson and every single other Western country where the government immediately steps in to bail out workers and, and, and to, you know, it, it's just a problem. It's saying, it's saying capitalism, free markets can't handle any of this. And government yeah, has let, to let, let, Let's just backtrack on what you said, bail out workers. Like, like I have compassion for workers, right? Like every single one of our employees, um, if, if, if they catch uh, this disease or they think they might have it, you know, they, they get paid time off out of my pocket. I'm not expecting the federal government to come, 
you know, pay it for us. You know, that we made that decision early on. But just to be clear, uh, going back to the response that public health initiated from from society, everyone will just use America. They they started us down this path, this overreaction path. So, you know, shutting down all these events, doing all these things. And I'm all for the protection of the people that need it. And I think we'll get into, you know, where that balance lies later. But so now they're coming in to solve a problem that they actually originally started. And to me, that's the easiest way to gain control. It's like starting a fire, leaving, coming back an hour later, putting it out and then saying, you know, I did the greatest thing on earth. You know, I, I saved the world. The left loves to start fires and then and then scream there's not enough resources to put them out. And and then, you know, more. And every single time it's about growing government, growing power. Um, there's no doubt. You know, we have a complacent. Now, Nietzsche, if Nietzsche was still alive, he'd have so much to say about what's gone on this week. Because basically, the herd has been mobilized into, into um, following along with this story. Now, <clears throat> look... The Wuhan virus from China is a really a virus. But what do we know about that virus, right? Again, like everything, if you've been watching news and, and following things for a little bit, you catch the story early and then you watch the CDC and the rest of public health change it and lie, <laughs> just like they've done with vaping. And now, so just so everyone knows what the real deal is here is that the Wuhan virus, which is a coronavirus, which is not something new, the 2019 version of it is new, but all of the other big viruses are all been coronaviruses and from SARS and swine and, and H1, I think is even a, yeah, H1 is a coronavirus. So those are all coronaviruses. I had people today say to me, you know, lay people, I'm out running around as I'm building up my steam on this rant saying, well, is this is something new. It's like some kind of a new virus. It's really infectious. Is, is the, the mentality that the people have, because that's what public health has intimated. Public health hasn't actually said that, but that's the intimation that's come from the amplification through the hysterical media. But the reality of this is that coronaviruses is what happens all the time. And we develop vaccines for them all the time. And in February, early February, when um, this thing was first starting to hit, but CDC had yet to actually figure out what they were going to do in terms of, um, let me get it here. Before they could actually figure out exactly how they were going to, I think, uh, capitalize on all of this, they were, um, they were pumping out stuff, stuff that was saying that a vaccine is not going to be available for a year and a half. That was the headlines on New York Times and stuff like that. So you're in February. This thing, you, we hardly even know. It's not even touched the U.S. yet. And the CDC and, and public health are out there saying there isn't going to be a vaccine for a year and a half. That's yeah, and, you know, and, and this is the crazy thing about it. And th- this is where it's, it's hard to talk because uh, we I have to be very sensitive because there there's a very real risk to a part of our population that needs to be taken care of. And me as an individual, I need to act responsibly to make sure that you know, I don't infect those people that they, you know, like, like my, my grandma, my grandfather who's still alive. He's 95 years old. Okay. Um, he not only needs to 
stay away from this virus because it would it would most likely well not most likely you would have probably a, a 15 to 20 percent chance of dying if you contracted it but it would probably be not a pleasant experience for him and on top of that you know not only do i have to ensure as his family member that he stays away from where he needs to be not to come in contact with a lot of people but there's also a social aspect to this. No one, no human likes to be tied up in a room by themselves for months on end with no interaction. So as, as a family member of his, I need to make sure that I'm giving him attention. I'm talking to him. I'm calling him, um, you know, maybe not interacting with him one on one because I'm putting him at risk by doing so. But if if instead of the government coming out and saying, you know, look, the world's going to end, everyone panic and everyone starts going out buying as much food as they can, stocking up on toilet paper, doing this. Now, what happens to, to, to you know, the, the 15 million of my grandfathers out there? That's the last things on people's mind now. All, all they're thinking about is self-preservation. Now, you tell me what's less, less selfish. What I just described about making sure that someone's taken care of, um, and that, that could happen across the board if everyone had that same mentality, or the second mentality that the government started of, you know, or the panic they started to make sure the mentality is everyone needs to take care of themselves. So you just part of your language there uh, that you used with, you know, that sense of danger to loved ones and stuff like that. Rightly so. But what has not been explained at all is really what that danger is. So let's let's be really clear about this. This is not Ebola where just, no. you know, a sneeze or a look, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden your insides are disintegrating and you're bleeding out of your eyes and and you're coughing up half of your organs and they're spreading all over the place it's wrenching it's it's a disease that's what's in everybody's head the cdc has done absolutely not one thing not a single word the public health movement globally has not done one thing to ease or calm the fears of the populace not done and one you know, thing you know what's to- crazy Brent? donald trump has tried multiple times and he has got lambasted on the media time and time again oh he's downplaying this he's you know um and i have a lot of criticisms of donald trump i'm a trump person but when he's wrong he's wrong right i'll point it out I'll, i'll you know he says a lot of stupid things he's not the best public speaker uh he's probably not the most educated president we've ever had i could go on and on and on criticizing donald trump but when, when he says stuff like, you know, most people might not even notice that they have, uh, most of the population is going to be fine. They'll go through a process. You know, it'll, it'll take a couple of weeks. It'll be over. Uh, make sure you don't spread it to other people. Take the necessary precautions. And he would he was the only one saying stuff like that, which is really the message that needs to get out there. But I would add that there would need to be a message on top of that of we need to be very cognizant of the weakest among us. And these are the precautions we need to take to protect them. And that's so, a much more conducive message to how the public should be reacting right now. Instead, we get, we don't have enough ventilators. The emergency rooms are going to be overflowing, uh, which is a possibility. It could happen. But as a public health organ, if you really truly care about public health, that that panic is not what you want to instill to the population as a whole. Right, unless you're trying to achieve the the monumental achievements that the progressive movement has achieved in the last couple of weeks in in terms of what they they desire to have happen they have hit home runs here we're talking like grand slams so a couple of things 
first of all, there is a critical reason. We have to look at the, the testing. Now, the CDC and CDC and health officials in the last two days have started telling national media that the time for testing is over. So any conversations about the fact that there weren't any tests and this and that, that's all in the past for the progressives. That's old news. Doesn't matter. They're past it because that's because they're, they're malevolent, right? And they're able to do that. So the testing doesn't matter. In the end, that doesn't matter. Now, I argue a couple of things. For one, either that is pure incompetence or treachery. And either one is just as bad. How the CDC could not have had those tests there, it could only be incompetence or treachery. Now, if you look back through all of the other uh, scares, so, you know, I'm 50 this year, which means that I was a living, breathing human adult in my 30s during two major global uh, uh, virus uh, scares, you know, pandemics or epidemics, whatever they called them at the time. So that was your SARS, your, swine, your SARS and your swine flu. So SARS was 2003, I think. Then swine flu was 2009. 2009. And so like with the swine flu, for instance, 750 million people on the planet were infected by swine flu. And there's only worldwide a couple hundred thousand deaths, very small compared to nearly a billion. <laughs> and then and then eight billion people on the planet. And there was no shutdown of society. SARS in 2003 same there, you know, there were people infected and stuff, but no shutdown of society. And here's our deal with public health as individuals and as citizens of our great countries and as taxpayers and as community members and family members and everything else. Our deal with public health is that they do everything that they can to prevent us from having to shut down our entire society. That is really the ultimate thing. Right after the shutdown of society is then is there anarchy and war, right? But when you're shutting down society, that's the first step before those last ones. So we kind of got this deal with public health. We'll throw you all this money. You tell us what to do all the time. Nag the shit out of us. Pu you know, push us around. But whatever happens when the inevitable, which happens all the time, every year the flu and stuff like that, when that happens, the first thing you do, please, is protect us not shut society down. It's a failure of public health to shut society down as the method to protect us. They have failed. 100%. I, I agree with that completely. And if you, you know, you hear about Italy a lot and, you know, the American um, kind of landscape is very different than Italy. Our public health system is very different. Uh, two very different systems. Um, and I actually had this conversation earlier with someone else. So like the ideal situation, and I'm not a scientist, I'm not an expert, but just using common sense, right, would be you have a public health um, kind of mechanism in terms of like our hospital system, the available rooms, so on and so on. Uh, and that, that has certain capacity. Um, now, if you're looking at the population as a whole, the problem with Italy is that obviously too many people needed these services and overwhelmed their system. Now, this uh, virus, you know, it's obviously spreading very quickly. So the, the ideal thing to do would be to, to probably, and you know, this is way, probably way too honest for uh, any politician to say is, in fact, as many healthy young adults as you can, as quick as you can, develop immunity, let them get through it, a very small amount of pain for those individuals while protecting the weak in society. 
uh, and get as many people immune to it after going through the disease, or some people might not even notice it from the reports, um, and do that as quickly as you can, because that would be the most efficient way to deal with it. But instead, we're on this complete lockdown where we're just kind of elongating this process. And I don't want to minimize how important it is to take care of the people that have like uh, immune deficiencies or heart issues or the elderly or diabetes, those kind of things. Those are the people that really we need to concentrate on protecting. But for 99.9% of the population or whatever the number may be, um, it's not that big of a deal if we take care of those people. And the quicker we get through that process, the less our economy um, suffers, uh, the the less people have to worry about this virus in the future. Um, but now we're in a situation, in my opinion, where it's just going to be this long process that our government, our public health system has complete and utter control over the narrative in our lives. Yeah. And it legitimates, uh, you know, public health. If you're a vapor, right. And even obviously following just complete, you know, destruction, <laughs> science and truth that comes out of public health, the same public health people. I mean, this is WHO. This is CDC. I mean, this is FDA. Although, mind you, FDA is a little quiet, quieter on this file. But this is all public health. The same people in every state standing beside a governor, the same people in every city standing beside a mayor, are the same people that were standing beside the governors and the mayors saying flavors need to be banned and vaping kills. The same people. So yeah, and, if and you the, are a vapor and you aren't absolutely furious and, and, and telling the world that this is an overblown, this is a total overblown uh, thing, then I don't know where you're at as, as somebody who's a vapor because, I mean, this is clearly the same exact people. <laughs> they were just last month doing it about vaping. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, like we intimately know the issues that happened there. And to think anything other than the same thing is happening here. Uh, and I'm sure the truth is in there somewhere, just like it was in that situation, right? But the public as a whole doesn't dig or look into what that truth is. So if people don't look at this whole situation or the messaging that we're getting with some level of skepticism, if they follow the whole Valley scare, I mean, I would say that's just kind of, you know, I mean, I have no explanation for it. You know, well, we, there's we, nobody, we there's no other citizens that are more, there's, sorry, John, there's no other citizens that are better prepared to talk to other citizens about this than the vapors that have gone through following the E-Valley issue, because nobody else is going to have any idea uh, about the uh, mendacity of, uh, of, of CDC and the rest of the public health. Yeah. And, you know, that's the other um, criticism I have of what's going on with this whole situation, you know. Uh, the president's getting a lot of criticism, for example, for caring about the stock market and the rich, and that's all he cares about. Uh, and it's a legitimate concern that, you know, as someone who doesn't fall into that category, right, not a billionaire, um, the, the fact that that has on our economy is significant. And, it, and I would argue it could affect the average person person's life much more than this virus even could. So I think that's a legitimate concern is the economy. And, and you have to balance that with what the actual public health threat is. And at this point, I can't tell you what the actual public health threat is. I don't think anyone can because it's obvious that they're not being honest with us. You know, I mean, I'm sure it falls somewhere between what everyone thinks it is and nothing, but 
who's to say where it falls in, on that spectrum? Right, right. Well, I can say I can make a couple of uh, comments on that. <laughs> Let's just zip over here as we because I want to jump through a couple of pieces of research uh, from my research file here. This is from just uh, January 24th. So for most people, this would be like well before. Well, this is well before anybody was talking about it. This is the DailyMail.com out of the UK, obviously uh, one of Britain's largest newspapers and obviously the more common sense oriented one. China built a lab to study SARS and Ebola in Wuhan, and U.S. biosafety experts warned in 2017 that a virus could escape the facility that's become key in fighting the outbreak. <laughs> so <clears throat> already in January, so here's, here's what's happened, and I can report this on behalf of RegWatch and our reporting, and from listening to reports, early ones from Tucker Carlson, some from the Epoch Times and interviews from Chinese nationals in Hong Kong and Taiwanese nationals in Taiwan and, and watching this stuff in real time in January and then through into February. What we had happen here is that this uh, facility in Wuhan, China, is the top and it's called Wuhan CDC. So it's the WU CDC, Center for Disease Control in China. This particular facility is the top facility in the Chinese CDC system, the Wuhan CDC. It is the lab that does all of the work on uh, bioweapons for China. It's the lab that does all the work on Ebola and coronavirus. It's it. And it's only a short distance, a couple miles, away from the meat market that the mainstream media had everybody believing at start was this was just about the Chinese eating weird food like armadillos and stuff like that. And that's how this thing happened, which was the first uh, black flag or whatever you want to call it from the conspiracy side of things. That was absolutely not right. It was a complete hoax. They screwed up the Wuhan CDC people screwed up so bad that the Chinese asked the United States of America to have the CDC step in and take over the entire investigation and the whole act mopping up uh, in China. So U.S. out of Atlanta, CDC, went to China to take control of it because the Chinese couldn't, couldn't do it. it. It escaped from their facility. So it turns out, from what we understand, and there are some academic papers that were out early that China's already had taken off the internet. And I, I've got them, but we're not going to, I'm just explaining everything. You got to send me those. I, 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 see, I don't know anything about this. I, I, you got to send me those. After uh, yeah, this. I'll do that for sure. I'll do that for sure. And so one of the researchers, apparently, who has been working with the bats that were infected with the coronavirus, you know, that they're because they're building weapons and shit and studying coronavirus. Blood had dropped on them and stuff. There had been that. They think that that's how he got it. There was a couple of other exposures that he had had. And then, of course, the market is where everybody was at. And, and the virus got out through that researcher. And the first, first five major people to have died in China from this disease were all employees at the Wuhan CDC. All of them, all right? So, okay, so, but you still, you've got mainstream media in the US talking about uh, how it's potentially this with, you know, it's jumped from animals to humans and this and that, when that's not what happened. And then, so, it's just really important to understand that, right? So the CDC is known the whole time. They've known since January uh, about this. And then when it came time to get the test kits out, <clears throat> what happens is that they were late. They dragged their feet. They dragged their feet. And then they finally send the test kits out like weeks after. 
right? And then they come out and the test kits are all, they don't work. They're completely faulty. Again, incompetence or treachery, doesn't matter. Both the same reaction. And so and some people probably know this, but like in Seattle, they're doing all this huge influenza testing. The universities there in Seattle and some private labs and stuff, they reached out to the CDC and said, hey, look, we can make this test. It's a very simple test. It's like, it's a swab and then it's a call and then you put it in the thing and then you grow the culture and then you see, does the culture match the, the uh, whatever it's called, the, the marker thing. And then either it's positive or not. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so what happened was some years ago during the swine flu, because, because public health progressives need to have total complete control of the numbers of how many people are ill in these situations. And I'll explain in a second why that is. And this is through time now. So they took control over it. And so during the Obama years, they passed regulations that said no private labs or universities can do these testing anymore. You're, it can only be done by the CDC. Yeah, it can only be literally. done by the CDC. And the FDA has to approve it. And the FDA said no. By the Just way, like, friend, have you ever seen have you ever seen the FDA approve something as fast as they approved that new test that came out? Uh, what they started that that, they, that went in for approval ten days ago. Right. That's like record breaking. Never happened in the history of any approval process in FDA's history. And they and that's and that's only and they that's because they they said no the first time, right? And they yeah. said no the first time. The CDC tests are on the way. And then the CDC's test showed up and they didn't work. So then that's now we're at that spot where you're at right now. So let's think about this. Now, what people need to understand is that is that with epidemiology, the power is in the numbers. It's just stats, right? That's what makes it insidious is because they go, it's science. No, it's numbers. It's science. Run from a model. Yes, but the models are science. No, they're not. They're models. So and you need the input numbers and stuff for for all of that kind of thing. So controlling the perspective on the number of people that have been infected with any disease and how many have died is essential to the progressive public health movement because depending on the situation, they use those numbers to generate more leverage to gain more power and money and control through government. That's what they do. And, and so we already know, we had Dr. Brad Rodu on, like RegWatch is chasing this like a dog with a frickin' bone. We had uh, Dr. Rodu on, and he fully revealed that the entire CDC numbers forecasting the, the deaths each year of people from smoking-related diseases is complete garbage. The numbers come from a 1981 data set that started in 81 by the Cancer Society, and they don't even get the numbers. It's all fed to them by the Cancer Society. That's happening all across the board. No number that comes out of the CDC can be trusted. It's absolutely a corrupted organization, and people need to understand that. And we need to be telling our neighbors about that. So with the CDC, here's the deal. They can't afford to have people know how many Americans are actually in the world. They can't afford the world to know how many people are actually infected with this disease. Because if that's happening in real time, then people will see, okay, somebody just got tested. Somebody just got sick. Somebody coughed and had a sneeze. And two weeks later, they're fine. If that was happening three, four weeks ago, we would not be in a shutdown of our society. 100% agree with you. And that's the problem. You know, I mean, they, they balance these things out. Um, there's a reason why it takes so long. I mean, they're not even publishing results over the weekend. You have to wait until Monday 
to see how many tests have been completed, how many deaths happen, you know, and there's going to be a huge spike, which is going to be even more panic. Wow. I mean, it's accelerating now, but when you have to always put it into perspective and that's the problem, we, you know, the general public does not get that perspective and how many people are going to be looking and digging into what you just said? No one, maybe, you know, one in 200,000 people or 300,000 people. Um, I would say 90% of the population right now doesn't even understand that what they're reporting are confirmed cases, not, you know, like people that say, you know, or thought they had um, symptoms, went to the uh, testing facility, got tested, waited a, a day or two and came back, you know, um, realistically, there, who knows how many cases are actually out there, but if people knew how many cases were out there, it wouldn't seem like it would not elicit this panic that we're seeing now, essentially. Well, and that's, that's right. exactly what their goal is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, the key number is, is the, is the lethality rate, right? How lethal is the virus? So, you know, regular people will say, well, Hey, wait a minute today, right now in 2020, there are 39 million Americans who are, who have the flu. 39 million Americans have the flu and 16,000 have died in this year's flu season, which starts, you know, at the end of 2019, right? So in this year's flu season, 39 million Americans have it, 16,000 have already died, okay? And that's just our every year cooking along here. You bring that up and they go, yeah, but this is like more lethal. If you get it, right, you're more likely to die because of lethality. Well, the lethal, the lethality rate only, you can only ever have that number properly is if you know how many people were infected. And because the CDC has prevented that from happening in the United States of America from the start, it will never happen. There will never be a unbiased uh, number on the total number of Americans that were infected by the Wuhan virus. There'll only be the CDC's word running models, epidemiological models, sometime researchers running them. We'll see a barrage of reports and some you know, controversy with inside the public health community as they pretend to fight it out. But in the end, they'll lock on to a number that they forecast based on working backtracking, this and that. And they'll they'll be able to engineer the le 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 lethality rate, uh, can, uh, the lethal rate, how lethal it was. With that rate, they'll be able to reverse engineer that. And nobody will be able to ever touch that. And it's that number that will be used to justify all of the actions. Because it is the number they're using to justify all the actions. It's not how many are infected. It's how it's how many will die that get infected. 100% agree with you. And that, that, that goes back to the whole control mechanism that we were talking about. And that, to me, is a much bigger threat than this virus. And like I said, protect the elderly, protect the immunocompromised, people with you know uh, conditions. Keep them at home. Don't go near them. Keep them entertained. Make sure their mind is... Uh, in, in the right place to, to, to stay in that area they need to be. But the population as a whole, just crazy that they're shutting down entire events, uh, doing all these things. And it's literally a response that they themselves elicited. So let me uh, thank you for being such a great uh, co-host here on the show, because you just did a great segue into the next point that follows along with what I'm saying. And that is the reason why, that the sports events specifically, the social distancing is so important is because it also hides the numbers of people that are ill. And, and remember, they're not trying to hide the numbers of people that are ill because, oh my God, if there's a lot of people ill, that, that that would somehow 
hurt their argument. No, if there were, if there were like 10 million people ill and they could even, you know, with any kind of credibility say that, they would in a heartbeat, they would lie their faces off saying there's 10 million Americans ill if they could, but they, but they can't. Social distancing, what it does is it, remo it removes the disease from the public and it doesn't remove the disease to protect people from it, it protects the lie. Because for instance, if the, if the NBA stayed playing games, but no fans, great, that's fine. That totally makes sense. Like a regular society, that would be an extreme thing to not do the events, but we say, hey, look, we're a technolo technology world, you know, highly connected media. So if we're gonna say people gotta hang out at their house and watch their TV and their iPhones and this and that, at least let them have their, at least let them have their NBA basketball games going, right? But no, they just shut it right down, like boom. And and it was right after, you know, that, that player, you know, touched all the mics and made that joke and everything else. Well, this is weird. The reason why this is really important for me to bring up, so you've got, you've got players playing, but no fans. Everyone at home worrying about this whole thing and, and, we're, and, they're, steal, and they're taking power. Well, you watch and the media is going and LeBron James, you know, say gets, uh, gets coronavirus. All of a sudden, he's pulled out of the game. He's out of the game and that is like global news, right? Every media organization on him. Now, all of a sudden, we're seeing interviews with somebody who's got coronavirus that people in the world respect and trust and, and hold them credible. And so the media hopefully would be asking, well, so how do you feel this and that? And, and then, you know, LeBron goes off and 15 days later, he's fine. And during those 15 days, there's just been tons of media coverage and phone interviews and this and that. And then other stars and basketball players, they get off and everything, but the games still go on because society still goes on. Human beings survive and we go on we don't shut down our society and it's, it's almost anti-american in a way honestly it's, it's I mean, anti-human it, it absolutely is 100 percent agree with you i mean we got through the spanish flu uh during world war one you know and none of this none of these, these I mean, we, we fought a war we were fighting a war as the pandemic went on and i mean just think about that and it's almost like uh and this gets kind of more into like the um I guess philosophical side, but it's almost like they're training people or society to get as soft as they possibly can, because that way it not only gives them the ability to control them more easily, but at the end of the day, it's like, um, you know, if you ever want to invade a country or take a country over, and I'm just using this as a metaphor for like our society, um, the best way to do that is to 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 make them have as much fear instilled from the the people that are invading them, and that's exactly what they're doing in society right now. And it's sad to see, it's sad to watch, and I, at the bottom of my heart, hope that they're not successful in executing whatever the pl the overall plan is. Yes, the well, it is an evil overall plan. I mean, in, I I guarantee it. So yeah, so so just like. <clears throat> just like anything, progressives can't, they, they, their biggest fear for them is for the regular populace to have a clear understanding of their nature, progressives nature. So they do, so they, they're, they're doing this right now in coronavirus, but let me explain though, how they've been doing it in a much larger way for a longer period of time, because it's a direct connection to why they're so fascistic in terms of stamping out history. So 
the the progressives can't afford current population to ever understand that through history we're always the same people we're the same people like human beings don't change we've got the same faults the same needs the same desires the same everything right treachery capacity to do great evil all of that stuff has been the same and their lie is that they're making better human beings and they've been in control for some time and it doesn't seem that they're actually they're always they're not actually achieving any goals here so for one thing that they're i keep using the word treachery but if you think back to um ancient greece and the soffits right they're soffits the soffits and the cynics and and the, that's what the left is they tear everything down and so if you were to continue to educate people about the classics they they would see that the, these treacherous people i live with that are around us are the same people that aristotle is talking about right in ancient greece and you go oh my god 25 2500 years ago so they can't afford to let people understand um who they are you know and it's funny you bring that up Brian, because i always thought that um like uh shake uh the julius caesar it was always the best representation of this right in in, in uh, shakespeare's play when uh, Brutus stabs him in the back. And that's like the perfect analogy to exactly what you're talking about. You know, they they, they elicit this like uh, trust, like uh, that, you know, like that we're all on the same team, public health, everyone, you know, we, we have your best interest at heart as a society as a whole and you as an individual. But all that does is put us in a position so we don't pay attention and they ultimately just come by and stab us right in the back. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I couldn't uh, put it better uh, myself. The stab in the back is is for sure. You know, they um, for the history that they can't erase, for the statues they can't tear down, and for the books they can't burn, they apply the feminist lens to it, which is the problematized. Then it becomes problematic, right? And so they've actually taught all of these people that live today that the only way that you can consume anything from our past that they have not already been able to erase is only from the oppressor ideology uh, frame. And, and so that's, that's what's really crazy. And what's happening now is, is definitely a part of that whole process. And we need to figure out a way to shake people uh, into some sense to understand that these people can't be right. And yeah, when, and there's one and the one point and then I'll hand it to you is that the, the, the problem is going to be is that there is not going to be bodies in the street. There's not going to be morgues over full, right? That's not going to happen. And so in the end, none of it's going to happen. And what's going to happen is public health is going to say that's because you gave us the power to do what we did. And that's why we need more power because here we just showed it to you. So we're in a catch 22 situation here. They've lied. This is just, this is a, a serious virus, like many, and we should have had the capacity to handle this without throwing up our arms and surrender. And they've stolen power, power that like precedent setting power. And so what do we do after? Because they're going to just point to the fact that there are no deaths in any grand number as their success. And look, um, just because I wanted to kind of uh, parlay off of what you were saying, and this motif kind of ripples through 
everything we see in society. Um, you know, like touching on the touchy subjects, uh, transgender people, um, you know, uh, if you look at uh, closing the border, building the wall, uh, we hate Central Americans, I'm half El Salvadorian, um, the oppressor that you're talking about, right? Uh, someone to point the finger at, they're uh, homophobic, they're um, anti-woman, they're, um, you know, xenophobic. Um, and let me just like put this right on the table right now. I have an appreciation and a love for every single human being on this planet. I don't care if they're trans, gay, uh, black, white, Hispanic, doesn't matter. They, they all have equal value in my eyes. Um, but we get caught up in these arguments about how we know we have to overhaul our society because uh, white supremacy is this big problem in America. And it's that that concept that you're talking about of the oppressor. Like these aren't real problems. You know, like if you had to write a list of all the problems that we face in our daily lives, where do you think white supremacy would fall on that list? Probably, you know, 10,000 down on the list. If, if you were being intellectually honest with yourself, but that's like one of the main arguments that we see in the media and you hear people talking about or arguing about. And when you put things into perspective, it's like, why? Why is this something that people are even discussing? It's not a problem. Like our, people generally, not even generally, I mean, it's just human nature to be social human beings. It doesn't matter if people are different colors or different thoughts or different beliefs or you know, and but it keeps that same agenda up of always having an oppressor. You need to have something to pit people against each other. And what does that do? That allows these this uh, agenda that's going on in the background to take control and ultimately control everyone's lives. And, you know, that's and no one ever wants to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and people do need to. Uh, they've done such a good job of shutting down that ability so we're just rolling now here on an hour live and I'm conscious of, I want to make sure that people have a Saturday night. And I know if the videos are too long, people shy away from watching sometimes, but there's so much here um, that, uh, you know, obviously we're going to be talking about it. I just want to let everybody know that tomorrow we have a scheduled show uh, with Aaron Gunn, a great young guy who's a conservative, a firebrand, which I love that word. We need to steal that word back. Uh, it's not such a bad word, and so, we need more conservative firebrands. Like a conservative is not what people define it as today, right? If, if a true conservative, whether I'm like, there's two different definitions that I would classify as your political definition, which is just one simple thing. You know, you want to conserve the Constitution as it was written at the time it was written to govern our country. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. It doesn't insinuate, you know, you hate other countries or you're racist or any of this, any of these things, which I would, you know, and our government's gotten so far away from that. It's crazy. I mean, even if you look at our industry, um, the FDA shouldn't even be, have the right to regulate these products in any way, shape or form. I mean, there's, if anything, it should be a state issue according to our constitution, right? I mean, that's, it's like insane. The constitution tells the government what they can do. Not if it's not there, you know, we, we may be able to do it or we need to decide to do it. It's a very clear list of what are the functions of the federal governments and what abilities does it have to govern its people? You know, and we're so far away from that, that it, it just blows my mind. That's like a, a political a political definition of a conservative. And then on the on the ideology side, it, it's just someone that adheres to, you know, I would say you're 
your old fashioned, you know, without getting too in depth on it, but like your nuclear family, uh, you know, that really believes in that platform to stabilize society. And I mean, how do you argue against that as well? You know, is there something wrong with that? No. Does it mean you hate other people? No. But again, the concept of the oppressor that we always have to go back to, you have to have something to fight against. So they take these things that have absolutely no bearing or there's no argument against them and they turn them into issues so that people just don't want to interact or they have something to fight about with each other. It's just a huge distraction. Yeah. I'm yeah. They're I mean they're 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 the masters of that. Um okay, so we'll do a couple of things here. Important I think for for our our audience and vaping side. I want them to hear from uh what's her name again? It is um Dr. Nancy, how do you pronounce your last name? Uh Messonier? How do you pronounce your last name? Do you know? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, it uh, she's from She's from the CDC. She's the head of like the respiratory illness and, and this and that. I've got a clip here. This is now Tucker Carlson has been doing an interesting job on the coverage of the coronavirus. Um, <clears throat> I'm a fan, Tucker. He and I are the same age. I was working at the CBC when he first started at CNN, that kind of thing. He's obviously gone <laughs> a little farther than I did. But, you know, I, I have my own thing, so I'm happy with that. Um, but not as eight million a year. But he, um, surprisingly, I'm, I've got a lot of criticism for the way in which Tucker has been covering this issue. And, you know, it's not now to get too deep into it, but I think he's he's eaten, he's dined on a little bit of lunch here on this. However, he's been, he's been early. So this is from February 25th. This is Tucker Carlson. We're going to watch the first four minutes or so of it. And so you're going to hear his lead, the first bit of information, and then you're going to hear the CDC just to set this up, is that this was just days, like I think a day, maybe two, right? After when Trump first made his first announcement uh, that was downplaying and saying, hey, you guys, this isn't gonna be as bad as it's gonna be. It was in January when he cut off the travel and got all that heat, which was, was a very smart move. And this, and then he had done this press conference and he kind of played things down. And then two days later, the CDC unleashed their political barrage, which delivered where we're at today. That's what I'm going to play right now. And I just had it up. Oh, uh, yeah. There we go. Do -do -do. Okay. I have to make sure for everybody that I've got audio happening here. weird officials warned americans to be ready officials warned this americans to be ready names report today give you an update on exactly what she said and respond in just a moment but first the city of San Francisco has just declared a state of emergency. Officials warned Americans to be ready. Names report today. 
Sorry. Give you an update on exactly what she said in response. First, the city of San Francisco has just declared a state of emergency. Officials warned Americans to be names. Give you an update on exactly what she said in response. First, the city of San Francisco has just declared a state of emergency. Officials warned Americans to be names. Give you an update on exactly what she said in response. The city of San Francisco just declared a state of emergency. Officials warned Americans to be names. All right, apologies, guys. Oh, Jesus. That should all be no brain dead stuff right now with all of these macros that I've got set, but clearly uh, it didn't work. So, frick. All right, so let's wrap it up here. And then I've got two things that I want to throw at you. One, my concern is that the tactics that have been used for the last, you know, 10 years or whatever you want to have, specifically on the vaping side, which are your precautionary principles. So just to be safe, you know, better be safe than sorry and that kind of stuff. That's operating here right now. And then we've got the other uh, principle that's like, okay, well, if you want to be an individual and do whatever you want, and it's the Ben Shapiro rule, as long as you, when you're flailing, flailing your arms around, as long as you don't hit anybody, you're allowed to do that. But as soon as you hit somebody, then the state and stuff can pile down on you and you're toast. So on the smoking side, it was the secondhand smoke that unlocked that principle that allowed them to remove the civil liberties of people who are buying a legal product and wanting to use it, uh, where other people who owned private property were quite happy to let you use the legal product in, but because it was doing harm to third parties, they were able to do that. So it's that principle right there. Now that principle, I fear, is going to operate with vaping with regard to the coronavirus. Here's why. So vaping comes down to the lung. That's it. It's all about the lungs. And the absolute craziness that all the body part orgs, and specifically the lung, and so forth, and public health have, it's all about the lung. And, and when you talk to any of these fanatics, and you go through all of the argument, and so many vapors will recognize this, you can go through the argument with them over all the way down to the bottom and answer every one of their concerns on everything from flavors to gateway to stuff with real research all the way down. And then at the very bottom, at bottom, they go, yeah, but you're still putting something in your lungs that shouldn't be there. All right, that is really is in the end, the fanatical thing where you fucking you nuts, you're putting something in your lungs. You don't even know what it is. <sighs> and so, and, and so what's gonna happen here is the ventilator issue. So at some point, uh, vaping is going to be arguing in the next 12 months, in the next six months, or the next three months or tomorrow, right? To have, you know, some help and to keep the industry alive. And they're just going to look at you and go, we're not spending resources for you to put shit in your lungs that nobody knows what it is. This is your lungs we're talking about. This is, we've got, we've got 80 year olds that don't have ventilators uh, that we're trying to keep live from coronavirus kind of a disgusting human being are you so if there's no vent you know so there's an easy argument to be made from public health and, I, and maybe i'm the first to make it sorry about that but this is my job to do that 
is to let I, everybody I had to say, know. I had the same discussion yesterday. Did you? Funny, it's funny you brought that up. It, I hand it to you, please. I mean, it's it's a perfect storm. I don't know what else could go wrong. You know, uh, it's uh, it's it's gonna be a tough battle, and uh, I really that's why I think it's important we have these types of conversations because, like you said, that precautionary principle. You could literally take any right away from anyone you want using that principle. And I would say 60 years ago, 70 years ago, that wasn't even on the table as a, a function of government. And just so slowly we've got to like, that's the norm. And it's only going to get worse. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I truly believe that there has to be a fundamental change in how we as human beings look at the world around us and interact specifically with our public officials to change this narrative. And it's not going to be easy, but, you know, that's, that's, that's a fight that's extremely hard to, to win. You know, I mean, just that argument you just made, you know, what, what rebuttal do you have against that? But at the end of the day, the only reason they have that argument is they have too much power. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And, you know, deeply for them, it's connected into something that's really deep. And what a lot of Americans don't understand, and the rest of the world doesn't either, of course, but um, public health is an American invention. Um, <clears throat> obviously, it's progressive. So there's a connection with Germany in the late 19th century. That, that's the you know origins of progressivism. But American uh, public health is, a, public health is an American uh, invention. And it was invented, really, to combat infectious disease. That's exactly what it was invented for. Uh, in the UK... In the UK, epidemiology was cholera, but in the US, it was yellow fever. And that was a real disease that for 40, 50 years wiped out Americans in the tens of thousands. And nobody knew where it came from. And eventually it was tracked down to being a mosquito. But, you know, the mosquitoes infected with yellow jack coming up from Panama or Cuba or whatever. And, you know, in with the sugar, uh, the sugar, you know, the slaves even whatever on the ships. They come into New Orleans and they come into San Francisco and they would bring yellow fever. Now, and it would go up the Mississippi River and it would like annihilate tens of thousands of Americans. And this would happen every dozen years or so. And uh, so this was where public health really got its start. And now we're talking about a disease that America has a huge understanding of and a history of it that nobody knows because they don't teach history. And you certainly don't want to teach them about, you know, that the yellow fever, right? Because then it would it would anest it would help anesthetize the the population from the hysteria, and so yellow fever is real. Like that's real. It would, like, lessen, get, it would lessen the panic. It would lessen yeah, right. the, the panic response that we're having right now. Right. And, if yeah. if that's exactly what would happen. That's why there's such a this kickback about oh don't compare it to the flu. That's all you hear in the media, right? But they're taking these numbers and manipulating them. And you know I always want to reiterate this. There is a real danger out there to certain people. And even, I mean, you could say a, a, a tiny danger to the population as a whole even, but not to elicit this type of response that we're seeing. And that's ultimately what the dilemma is here. And that's what we're fighting against. Not saying it's a hoax or this or that. It's, it's literally just a function of how this is being communicated and how society has been trained to react and to get the exact reaction they're looking for. That's what the problem is. That is totally true. And make sure that everybody knows that it's your job, certainly if you've got some understanding of the way in which that science has been so absolutely destroyed and how treacherous these public health people are, that it's your duty 
to talk to people and get them to try to understand, try to calm them down. And certainly don't be one of the people that are loading up diapers. Uh, I think that was your picture that I saw today, right, on Facebook. Was that you that put, John, the shots of the uh, Costco people? Maybe not? I don't remember. Yeah, so give, give me more context. Oh, there was just a shot of, you know, I hope if you're a vapor, I hope you're not one of these people. You know, 40 bags of uh, diapers and stuff in the... Uh, Oh, no, it wasn't me. Uh, that wasn't me. Oh, that's all right. So, look, okay, so let's let's leave it at that. Um, this is a big issue, and uh, there'll be more to talk about it. Please do your own research. Uh, this, is not, uh, 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 this is not a global pandemic of the order in which society needs to be shut down. And it, it may be hard, but Trump is right. not, Trump's in a bind uh, with what Just he's had to do. Yeah, just to reiterate, to do your own research, I mean, just to make it as simple as possible. And this is kind of just like emblematic of the whole situation. But look at what the, the U.S. response was to this virus. And then look at just listen to Boris Johnson from the U.K. What he and how they're reacting to this and the difference there. And and it, it's a huge difference. It's, it's drastically different. Um and that will really give you an idea of how manipulative and controlling the media and our public health system is in this country. Yeah, the uh, headline here, as Europe shuts down, Britain takes a different and contentious approach. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has largely kept Britain open, opting for more targeted measures, a strategy that has startled some epidemiologists. Well, I say, go to hell, epidemiologists. You just push numbers around. Why would you be startled? And you're startled because you're, you're, you're having your power challenged by the head of a state. And, oh, my God, you can't have that. Yeah, and, you know, and just to criticize Trump, because people always give me flack for not criticizing Trump enough. Uh, someone asked in the chat earlier, how did Trump get wrapped up in all this? Here's my answer. He didn't. Well, he, he did indirectly. Um, but Trump's instincts, I think, were always right. Uh, something is off, I think, is what he thought here. And you could tell in how he was speaking and his messaging. And this is what the media points out as contradictions, right? Like uh, Trump can't control his administration. Um, and ultimately, I think, uh, you know, this is what my main criticism of him is, is he's not following his instincts. I think it would be a very different response if he was. He's listening to these bureaucrats and these public health officials and, you know, succumbing to the political pressure to have like this shock and awe response. Um, he's human, right? But I mean, if he had a stronger will, I think he would follow his instincts. And I think we would have more of a metered response, just like the UK took. If he, if he wasn't, um, if he, if he wasn't so susceptible to all that pressure, not only politically, but from the public health. Well, they've tried six six ways to Sunday more than with any other president to to remove him from office uh, illegally, corruptly, maliciously. I mean, all the different things that they've done. I mean, they, they the senator standing in the, the Senate uh, during uh, you know a judicial confirmation for a Supreme Court judge with a federal judge screaming that he's guilty of gang rape, right? You know, on the floor of the Senate as that's happening, and the media is all right behind it. You know, you, you it's done. These people, we need to sweep out all of these people. How that's done, I don't know. 
Uh, For the record, that's like the, the cleanest person that's ever lived. He literally like journals his entire life. He he somehow proved that 30 years ago that wasn't even possible because he was such a straight-edged, clean guy. And they're saying he's out there gang-raping people. That absolutely blows my mind to this day. It's uh, Absolutely. And so then right through from all your Russia, your Supreme Court with Kavanaugh, and then you've got, you know, the impeachment, which went nowhere. I mean, the impeachment finished, and it was days after that that the, that— we hit, hit started this hysteria. Not not even months, not months, not weeks, like days, right? So it, it's just it's just critical to understand that. So let's leave it at that, John. I know that that's a happy way to end our Saturday. Uh, please, everybody, come and join us tomorrow at uh, seven p.m. Eastern, four p.m. Pacific, Pacific to uh, meet Aaron Gunn, and we'll be talking about what's going on in Canada a bit. But it's all wrapped up in this. It's the, I mean. Free speeches, you know, uh, he was, you know, just had this major uh, speech that he was supposed to give at the University of Victoria, and yet that was canceled. And it's all with regards to the whole Wet'suwet'en uh, protests that have been going on here, which is militant activists trying to shut down Canada by shutting down its resources. And it's all connected. There's no doubt in my mind. So that's tomorrow. If you get a chance, uh, our podcast is up. I don't yet know if Apple has indexed it, but you can find it at regwatchpodcast.com. And we've got quite a few, about 100 or so of our last episodes are up, and then there'll be a couple hundred more that will go up. And again, as always, we can't do what we do without your help. And John Glauser here in Demand Vapes, our anchor supporter in the U.S. Can't thank him enough. If you have a chance to uh, participate in any of his business, please do. And yeah, thanks, please. John. Really appreciate that. No, absolutely, Brian. You're more than worth it, man. You you uh you get the word out there. You have the best interviews. You get the right people at the right time. You're a valuable resource to our industry, and it's fair. You know, you don't, you know, you're not one sided. You 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 look at it from uh, you take an approach that's balanced. If there's a problem, I know you'll point it out. So I mean, I I, I can't speak higher words for uh, the way that you you conduct your interviews and your business. Well, I appreciate that, John, immensely. Thank you. So just hang right there for one second. And that is it for this edition of RegWatch. And before you head off, please go to support.regulatorwatch.com. Take a look around, decide whether or not if you want to give us some money and then do that. I will be updating that and adding, you know, some of our other topics and expanding it into free speech and some of these issues around COVID. We'll be adding a COVID section to regulatorwatch.com. So when I'm saying doing some research, you'll be able to do a lot of that off of RegWatch as I migrate uh, my research uh, folders over into RegWatch. So the papers and all that stuff that we were talking about briefly tonight will be there. Again, support.regulatorwatch.com. We really could use your help. It is getting tight. A few bucks here and there would be great. Thank you. And my closing. <laughs> I just, uh, I got a notification here. I guess Cuomo just shut down the government from meeting with each other. What? Two people have, in fact, have been infected. Uh, I wonder what this is going to do for the budget, man. I'm scared Cuomo's going to use his new emergency powers to just push the vape ban through his budget. Which is the big thing here, guys. Like this, like, I mean, no one's going to have any time to listen to about anybody about vaping. They're just going to do what they want. This is bad. Uh, what, Cuomo, what's the keyword on that for you? You want to give me the link right now and I'll just.
because we're still on the air. <laughs> Are we? Yeah, because I was just about to hit closing. I think I hit closing, and then we're still on the air. So okay, well let, let me, me just... give some. Let me give the accurate information then. Let me look this over real quick. Okay. Yeah, these oh, are so they're only no, they're only cutting off the public from the capital. So they're still going to be able to negotiate the budget just privately. You know, you, you'll have no access. Will they? And they're and it's. Uh, let me explain how this works. Generally speaking, when they're passing a budget, it has to be uh, what you call a two-house bill, right? So the Assembly, the Senate, um, they have to individually come up with what they want in there, and then they have to agree, and then they take it to the governor. There's some negotiations involved, but it, it's a process. So now instead of that happening uh, with the new emergency um, powers that um, got the governor got and also with the outbreak that's you know seems like they're playing off like the end of the world uh, that situation is no longer needed what they're doing now is they're having you know basically three-way negotiations without the, the assembly and the senate doing it individually right so now now it's like all three of them coming together uh, and this makes it so there's no public input into it like you can't go down there you can't talk to them they're just cut off completely um so yeah i mean you know where that leads right so it'll be interesting to see how this this week plays out now um yeah now to, that, now to a typical this is the typical thing that you would use this scare to do would be to streamline all this regulatory stuff and just go look we've got way more important things to do so let's just push this through yeah and yeah. and not even you know and, and this literally takes all of the balancing out of the process because you know you have it's like a double blind study, right? This side doesn't know what this side is doing. And then they got to figure out, then they talk to each other. Then they, they figure that out. Then they go to the governor. Now they're just all together. Uh, so, you know, pressure from the governor is much more uh, important because he's in that conversation before he really should be. So, well, we'll, we'll let's see what happens. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they do the right thing. But, and this is, this goes back to the fear we talked about through the whole show right it's that that government control that they elicit a response they come and they save the day with uh how they respond to it but ultimately what they really get is that power and that's problematic as is very apparent in the situation here yeah totally all right well then well let's leave it at that the 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 advice that i've got as the cops are coming by here is to stay frosty vapors and stay frosty for the rest of you guys out there that want to fight for individual freedom and just some damn sanity and common sense out there. That is it for regulatorwatch.com for this episode and we will see you tomorrow. Okay, one sec. I have no idea why all of our my audio stopped working here. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's all right, but hey, I got to fly, man. That went way too long, and I... Uh... Yeah, dude, go. You can go. We're off air. <laughs>